All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and get started. And if you had been a fly on the wall in my prayer time, devotional time each day um, in the past year, 2021, which was a hard year, or if you had read my journal entries, you would have seen a recurring theme going on in my life. I was stuck. I was stuck in a cycle. I was burnt out. I felt I had lost passion. I also had a lot of fear, a lot of fear that I was dealing with. My kids were getting older, and all that entails, all the thinking about what the world they're growing up in and all of those things. Um, I was dealing with a lot of fear of the future. Um, I was also stuck in this cycle of comparison, you know, thinking, why them? Why me? What if? Why did this happen? You know, just stuck in this thought pattern, this cycle that had developed. And honestly, it was wearing me out. I was worn out. I was tired. I was foggy. I just didn't have a lot of clarity. I felt like I was hitting a wall every day. I was anxious. I was dealing with some depression and just felt, you know, isolated. And I really, what I wanted to do was just settle, like what Pastor Mark had talked about last week, not settling. I wanted to settle. I just wanted to go back to what I thought was the easier way of life, going back to, you know, my old job or, you know, doing those things. I just, I just wanted to just settle, be done. I just wanted, you know, I had the thoughts of this is just the way life is going to be. This is all that it is for me. And I just wanted to quit. I just wanted to give up, just settle, you know, like, okay, this is it. This is just how it's going to be. But there was something inside of me that kept nudging me, kept nudging me to fight, kept nudging me to push. And one day I realized that I could no longer afford to stay stuck here. I could no longer afford to stay stuck in this repeating cycle. But I had to realize that I was worth the fight. I had to realize I was worth the fight. And I had to turn to the Father and realize that I was worth the fight. And I want you to know today that you are worth the fight. You are worth the fight. Today, we're going to look in the chapter 4 of Nehemiah, and as you're pulling it up on the app or turning in your Bible, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give you some backstory to Nehemiah. See, Nehemiah, he was a Jew, and he was in the Persian Empire, and he had a very significant role in the king's court, in the king's empire. He was a cupbearer, and this significant role, this role to us may not sound significant, but it was. You know, he was in the king's presence a lot, and they did not give this role to anyone, just anyone. You had to have a upstanding reputation, and you had to be trusted. And so one day, Nehemiah's brother comes to visit him, and he begins to tell him of the broken wall and the burned gates and the mess and destruction and the disgrace that was going on in Jerusalem, which was Nehemiah's homeland, where his ancestors had been buried. 
And immediately, Nehemiah, when he hears this, he mourns for days. He grieves for this, and he fasts, and he prays. And what I love about what Nehemiah did is he didn't respond in bitterness, and he didn't respond in anger, and he didn't point blame. What he did is he went to the Father, and he prayed to the Father, and he mourned, and he fasted, and he sought out the Father, and he listened and he took his time, and he listened to what God was calling him to do. So he petitions the Father to hear of his prayers and have mercy. He also repents for himself and his family. And his prayer is not self-serving. It's out of concern for the people of Jerusalem, for his family. And he turns to the Father how many times when things in our lives are crumbling, when they seem a mess, when it seems broken or lost, how many times do we respond by turning to someone else or something else or trying to fix it ourselves? But imagine when the storms come and when life happens, imagine what it would be like if we would turn to the Father first. Imagine if we went to Him First, imagine how differently life would be, how much less of a mess would be created if we would just go to the Father. And then it goes on in the story of Nehemiah in chapter 2. He's in the king's presence, and the king immediately notices that he's sad. That tells you right away that Nehemiah is in the king's presence a lot for the king to notice that. And this could actually be a dangerous thing because the king could have interpreted it as um, there's danger or there's danger about to be done to me. But what he does is he asks Nehemiah what's going on. And Nehemiah is overwhelmed with a little bit of fear in that moment, overwhelmed with fear. And he prays and he asks the Father and he begins to speak frankly to the king. He begins to tell him of what all is going on in Jerusalem. And the king hears him out. He hears him out because he hears the burden and the concern and the well-thought-out plan that Nehemiah had to help go rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. And the queen is also in the presence there. And that tells you how God pays attention to all the details. And he puts everything in place. And not only did the king release Nehemiah to go to Jerusalem, he provided a way for him to get all of the resources that he needed, made him a governor. He worked out, God worked out all the details and then Nehemiah goes and he inspects what is going on, does an inspection to see what needs to be done. And in chapter 3, they begin the rebuilding process. And then in Nehemiah 4, which is where we're going to go to today, in verse 6, it says, So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together half its height. For the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and the breaches that were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. A lot of times when we make a step forward, oppositions will arise, but God overcomes. God overcomes. 
And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. And in Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble, but by ourselves, we should not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. And at that time, the Jews who lived from them came from all directions and said 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and the open places, I stationed the people by their clans and their swords and their spears and their bows. I want to tell you today, that if you want change to happen, maybe you walked in here, like I talked about earlier, feeling hopeless, feeling stuck in a cycle. Maybe something's happened even this week. If you want change, you have to inspect. What Nehemiah did when he went to Jerusalem is he inspected. And what that means is we have to start looking. We have to ask the Father, what is keeping me stuck? What is broken in my life right now? Am I where you want me to be? Am I doing what you've called me to do? You have to turn to the Father and you have to ask and begin that inspection process to start. On the outside right now, you may look like everything's great. You walked in here with a smile on your face feeling like everything's great, but on the inside, you feel like you're dying. You feel like you're stuck. You can't afford to stay stuck there anymore. You are worth it the fight. You are worth the fight. Don't waste any more time staying stuck in the cycle. You can't afford it. Your family can't afford it. Your friends can't afford it. Don't waste any more time staying stuck. In Nehemiah, it talks about the places, the open places in the walls. And we have to do that inspection to see where are the open places in our lives where the enemy is working through. We have to see where that is. We have to see where those strongholds have been formed. We have to allow God to reveal those things to us, those open doors to us. You see, I had allowed a door to be open to the enemy and a stronghold had been formed, which is a wrong way of thinking. And that stronghold is usually formed based on, you know, what has been said against us what has been done to us, trauma, hurt. And I believed those lies and I built up a defense like, okay, I'm just going to settle. I'm done. I'm just going to pull back. I'm going to build a wall. We developed this line of defense, so we think. And then we begin to react by isolating ourselves by staying stuck in that same thought pattern. Sometimes we're lashing out at others. Sometimes we're just, you know, just going on, just settling, just giving up. Those lies in me had create, taken root, and they had created this false sense of reality. I'd lost my passion. I was questioning things. I'd lost hope, but Jesus, but Jesus... I will never forget, I was sitting on that very back row underneath that TV one day in prayer. And I was crying out to God, and I was talking to Him. And I was just talking to Him about how stuck I felt. 
you know, and felt foggy and needed clarity. And I remember he said to me, I need you to turn to me and look to my face. I need you to turn to me. And in that moment, I turned to the Father and I allowed him to begin speaking to me, showing me where those lies had taken root, where those strongholds had been formed. And I allowed the Father to begin the healing process in me. I began to listen to him. I began to ask him to reveal the truth. I repented for those things, those lies that I had believed. And I did the work. I started going back to a counselor, which counselors are such a great resource and tool to help us process things even more. I got plugged in. I had to have some hard conversations with people. I had to do some of those things. But most of all, I allowed the healing process to start in me so that I could be set free from that cycle that I was in. He wants to stop the cycle. You want to know why you're in that cycle? It's because of the broken places in your life. But you don't have to stay stuck there. In Isaiah 53, 5, it says, But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. And he was whipped so we could be healed. There is a war going on right now. You may not see it, but there is a war going on right now between heaven and hell, between death and life, between the old nature and the new nature. There is a war going on for you. The fight is not against people. People are just who the enemy works through. The enemy is seeking to isolate, divide, separate, and keep you stuck in this same recurring cycle, stuck looking at the past. And let me tell you, the enemy is pulling out all the stops right now, if you have not noticed. And what he does is he likes to make things look shiny and new and good and makes your past creep up on you. But let me tell you, but Jesus... But Jesus, like we sang about today, the cross has the final say. And I want to say to you today, if you are questioning your worth, if you are questioning your value, look to the cross. Look to the cross. You are worthy enough to fight. You are worthy enough for his healing. You are worthy enough for his restoration. And Matthew, this is just how worthy you are. This is what he says. In Matthew 10, verse 29 through 31, it says, What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it, without him knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. For you are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. And then in Romans 5.8, he tells us about his love for his people. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you question your worth, look to the cross Nothing surprises God. We're all a big mess, wouldn't you say? We're all a big mess and we tend to make messes. 
We're just messy people. But guess what? When Jesus died on the cross, when he rose again, that opened up a future for us, not the past. He forgave our past on the cross. He gave us the gift of hope on the cross. He took the ugliest, he saw the ugliest and the messiest, craziest parts of us, and he knew that we were worth it. Look to the cross. When you fight, and I want to encourage you, don't give up. Fight. Realize that you are worth it. Because when you fight and you allow God to heal you, you come in alignment with his truth. You are, re you are reconnected to the life-giving source when you allow him to show you those broken places, when you allow him to reveal the truth, to begin the rebuilding and the restoration process in you. The lies are defeated. They're replaced with truth. Those yucky lenses that you've been wearing fall off. The fog's lifted and life begins to happen again. Freedom happens when you allow God, when you accept his grace, his love, his truth, and allow that healing process to start. That's when you're reconnected that's when you're in alignment with his truth. The cross is proof that you are worth fighting for. And when you turn to the Father and, and fight, when you allow him to heal you, when you do the work, whether it's getting plugged into church or going to a counselor, getting plugged into community, generational curses are broken. Generations are healed. When you allow God to heal you of addiction, when you allow God to heal you and show you where you've been in toxic relationships, where patterns have been set, generational curses are healed in those moments. And I don't know about you, but I want to leave a legacy for my family. I want it to all that mess, all those generational curses, I want it to stop here. I want it to be done. I want it to be defeated because I want my son and daughter and their sons and daughters to be blessed and to live a legacy for Christ. And that brings me into my next point. Your family is worth fighting for. Your family is worth fighting for. In Nehemiah, once again, when I, we talked about the open places in the wall and how they protected those open places against the enemy, I told you earlier that you have to inspect yourself, but I want, to hear, I want you to hear this today. Parents, grandparents, aunts, and uncles, you have to expect, inspect what is right in front of you, and that's your family. You've got to inspect your home. You've got to see where doors have been open, where the enemy's trying to attack. You've got to inspect your, your home. In Nehemiah 4.14, it says, Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Our family is our very first mission field. 
Our family is our very first mission field, and there is nothing of greater significance than leading your children to Christ, leading your grandchildren to Christ, leading your nieces and your nephews to Christ, and raising them to be spiritual champions for Jesus. If you're wondering what in your life you need to rebuild right now, look at your family. Look at your family. Job fought for his family every single day. Many people in the Bible fought for their families every single day. We need to be fighting for our family every single day. Because do you want what the world has to offer your family or what God has to offer your family? In Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Then I looked over the situation. I'm sorry. I'm, yeah. I may have gotten this wrong. Sorry. Oh, didn't the, there it is. Didn't the Lord make, I'm sorry, there's a glare on it, <laughs> make you with your wife in the body and spirit. You are his and what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Our family is what comes first in our lives. It is our mission field. And like I said, there's no greater job that you have here to do on earth than reaching your family first and reaching others for Christ. Children are a gift from God and it is our parenting responsibility to influence them and lead them to Christ and raise them to be spiritual champions. In Psalm 127, verse 3, it says, Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. And in Proverbs 22, verse 6, it tells us, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I want to pause right there because maybe right now you're struggling. Maybe you have a prodigal son or daughter and you've wanted to give up on fighting for them. But I want you to declare the promises that God has spoken in his word, that God has spoken to you. Declare those promises over that child and fight. Don't give up the fight. Don't give up the fight. Because whether you know it or not, God is putting things in place and he is fighting for you. And he'll give you little glimpses of those things of how he is working. But God is fighting for your family. He is fighting for your sons and daughters. Don't give up. Don't give up. Training is hard. Raising our kids is hard. It's one of the hardest jobs. It can be painful but I want to encourage you, fight every single day. You have to fight every single day. There's not a day that goes by that I'm not fighting for my children because I know what they have to face when they're going to the school. I know my son is 12 and he's getting older and he's approaching those teenage years. And I'll be honest, it scares me. It scares me to think of what he's going into next grade and next year in seventh grade. It scares me. But I know that God is going to be with him. 
And I want my son and my daughter and my family to know that I am fighting for them every single day and that God is on their side. Parents, don't compromise. Don't be complacent. Don't give up on your convictions. As a parent, you got to fight for them every single day. You have to have healthy measure of control, healthy boundaries. As a parent, we have to use the wisdom from the Lord and the courage and the convictions because weakness does not work. It does not work in this world. <laughs> weakness does not work. And parents, I got to say this, check their phones. Check their phones. Check their screens. My son, this year we gave him a phone. And it took, I mean, he was probably one of the last ones in his grade to get a phone. But we gave him a phone, and it is on lockdown. And I'm not ashamed that it's on lockdown. And he doesn't, he doesn't get to be on all the apps that his friends are on or all of those things. Check their phones. Check their phones. Don't let them take it, their phones to the rooms. <laughs> Check their phones. Because what you think that they're not looking at, they're looking at. What you think that they're not doing, they're doing. Check their phones. Check their apps. Parents, you're the parent. You're the parent. Don't compromise. These kids can't afford you to compromise. You can't afford to compromise. Check it. Be present in their lives, parents. Be present. When I pick my kids up from school, I typically pick them up on Mondays and Fridays. When I pick them up from school, when they get in the car, I talk to them. Ask them, hey, how was your day? And we go through three questions. What was the best thing about your day? What was the least favorite thing about your day? And what was weird? You know, was there something that felt a little off? Something that was weird? You got to open up those lines of communication, parents. It breaks my heart, the stories I hear about 12-year-olds and even younger committing suicide. We've got to open up the lines of communication, parents. We've got to be present in their lives, and we've got to fight for our kids. We've got to fight for our families, parents. We've got to fight. Stay in their lives. Do your best, because God will fill in the gaps. And he'll give you everything you need. He'll give you everything you need to raise them as spiritual champions. He's not giving up on them. Don't you give up on them. Don't give up on your families. Like I asked you before, do you want what the world has to offer them? Or do you want what God has to offer them? I read a book before, and it's from the Barna Group. And it's called Revolutionary Parenting. And they do research and surveys and things like this. And there is some research statistics that I'm just going to read to you for a moment, just a few of them, about what our kids and their, what is going on in their minds about religion, about their faith, what they're facing today. But it says in this book that most of our children are biblically illiterate, which will become clear as, you, as I go on. Their ignorance of the Bible teachings corresponds to the fact that only one-third, this is 36% of our adolescents, fully believe that the Bible is accurate in all the principles it teaches. Only 36% believe that. Few of our children are motivated to share their faith in Christ with others. 
Less than one out of every five, that's 19%, contend that they have a responsibility to evangelize their peers. Not even half of our young people, 46%, state that their religious faith is very important in their lives. Not even half. Few of our children take Satan seriously. One-fourth of them completely dismiss the idea that Satan is symbolic instead believing that the devil is real instead of believing that the devil is real salvation baffles most of our young ones only 2 out of every 10 reject the idea that good people can earn their way to heaven only only 2 out of 10 only 58% believe that god is the all-knowing all-powerful creator of the universe who still rules creation that result is lower than they had seen in any last quarter century of survey work. Only one-third of America's adolescents ardently contend that Jesus Christ returned to physical life after his crucifixion and death on the cross. Only one-third. And by their own admissions, children who are, con- are confused theologically Based on their reaction statements like, it doesn't matter what religious faith I follow because they all teach similar lessons. Statements like, it doesn't matter what religious, um, it's clear. Those things that they said, it's clear that they do not know what to think about competing worldviews and belief systems. But I want to tell you, families, parents, grandparents, don't be afraid to raise your kids during this time. Don't be afraid. Because I believe out of this season, out of this time period, God is raising up warriors. Warriors for his kingdom. Warriors who will go across the world and reach nations. Don't be afraid because we have a promise. Stand on that promise. No weapon will prosper. Nehemiah went back and he built the walls. And your family is worth fighting for because God will fight for you when you fight for your family, when you fight for your spouse, when you fight for your kids, when you fight for those loved ones. The enemy wants to destroy the home because he sees the value and he knows the impact that healthy homes can make to build God's kingdom. He knows the impact that the church can make when our homes are healthy, when our families are healthy. And parents, the time is now. It wasn't yesterday. It's not tomorrow. The time is now to lead them to Christ, to talk to them about Christ. We cannot afford to wait any longer. Don't leave it up to someone else. Don't leave it up to the world. Don't leave it up to someone else. Make a declaration every single day that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. These children need to be in the house of God. Every single time you bring your children, your family to church, you are leading them to Jesus. Every single time you walk through those doors, you check them in at the check-in desk, or you bring them to students on Wednesday night, you are leading your child to Jesus. And I want to say to you, Pathway, every single time you show up and you serve, 
You greet someone with a smile. You talk to them out on the guest tent. You make the coffee. You check them in at the check-in desk. Teachers, every time you serve in a class, you are leading a child to Jesus. You are leading them to Jesus and you are helping them grow in their relationship with God and you are building a foundation that no one can destroy. That no one can destroy. It is time for us to wake up and fight for our families. We can't afford to wait any longer. We cannot afford. And I've seen evidence, talking about Serve Team, I've seen evidence in my own kids' lives. Um, we have a real 56 class, our fifth and sixth grade class. And my son is 12 and he is about to go to students, which is going to be a big life change for us. But he'll be, and he's so excited. He's so excited. Gets to go to summer camp for the first time. And I'm so grateful for our fifth and sixth grade teachers that we have in there because that is a tough crowd. <laughs> they are very inquisitive or they're done with all the kiddie stuff, but then they're not quite ready for the older, you know, things. And so it's just a hard age. But what we've been doing, especially in this past year, is we've been trying to bridge the gap between students and children's ministry. And Pastor J.W. has started coming in to our Real 56 class on the fourth Sunday of the month. And I promise you, every time, every Sunday that he speaks in there, my son comes home with questions about God's Word. And he's had this new passion to read the Word of God. And it's because someone showed up, and they served, and they talked to them about the Word of God. And he's told them some of the craziest Bible stories in the Bible before. And why it'll come home asking questions, I'm like, oh my goodness, why don't y'all talk about that? But, but you know what? It's made the Bible come alive. Made him come alive to my son. And, you know, he gives him challenges. And a lot of our Real 56 teachers are so great about that. You know, making it practical to what they're going through. And in my own life, I wouldn't be here today. I've said this before. I wouldn't be here today. It's, you know, I can remember spending the night at my grandparents' house and waking up in the morning, and my grandmother and my grandfather are sitting in their chairs reading the Word of God, doing their devotionals. I can remember my grandfather taking naps in the afternoon, and he would go lay down beside the bed and listen to the audio cassette tape of the Bible. And I can remember my parents getting up, and I'm sure some Sundays it was hard to get up and go to church, but they, we got up and we went to church, and they served in my class, and they served in children's ministry. And I can remember seeing my parents praying together at night and reading the Word together. I can remember seeing my mom in the mornings praying, and thank God, because I would not be here today if it wasn't for those actions that I witnessed and those prayers that planted the seed, I would not be here today. Parents, it's our responsibility. They're watching us. They're watching us. It is our responsibility to lead them to Christ. Every time you invest in your children, every time you invest in someone here, you are leading them to Christ. My son has been reading a book by Tim Tebow, and it's just Tim Tebow sharing his testimony. It's kind of one of the earlier books he's written, but um, he was talking to me about the book the other day, and he was like, Mom, 
Did you know with Tim Tebow, his parents taught him a scripture every single day? Every single day they taught him a scripture and they memorized God's word. And he says that that's how, we're, that's how he got to where he is today. That's what gave him the passion to what he is doing today. That was through his parents investing in him. And look at what Tim Tebow's done. Look at the people he's reached. Your family is worth fighting for. And like I talked about, when you bring them to church, you're fighting. You're fighting for them. You're leading them to Christ. Serve team, every time you show up to serve on a Sunday morning or at an event or at an outreach event, you are fighting for the church, for the world. You're fighting. You're fighting to lead others to Christ. It is so valuable and so important. We have to fight for causes that are greater than ourselves. And the church is worth fighting for. The church is worth fighting for. God loves the church. It is his bride. God loves the church. In Matthew 16, 18, it says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and that no powers of hell will conquer it. The church has been complacent for way too long. The church has lost its voice. We've become selfish consumers. We've taken things for granted and we've gotten comfortable. We've settled like Pastor Mark shared last week. It's time for us to become unsettled, to get out of our comfort zones, to use our voice and to lead others to Christ, to be the hands and feet of Jesus like we talked about on our outreach video this morning. It is time for you to allow God to work through you and stretch you in ways that you can ever imagine. And it might be hard for a little bit, but what's on the other side is so amazing and awesome. We have become tolerant. We've compromised. We've become set in our ways and tolerant of unbelief. We've sugarcoated God's word. I remember a time that everyone I talked to, I remember when I was a teenager, and I would go out on these street reach things that Pastor Marty would have us do. Pastor Marty was my youth pastor. And we would go out on youth, um, youth events on Friday nights, and it was called street reach. And we would talk to people. I don't know if y'all remember, but there was a Taco Bell on one end of the aloof and a Taco Bell on the other. But we would go hang out, and we would talk to people about Christ. And I can remember being so excited about those nights, coming to the church and praying before that we went out. Because I remember there was something inside of me that could not bear the thought of someone not knowing Christ, of someone going to hell. I wanted to talk to everybody I could to reach them for Jesus. And church, we've lost that passion. Somewhere along the way, we've lost it. And it is time to get it back. It is time for us to stand up. It's time for us to get unsettled. Don't settle any longer. Don't become complacent anymore. It's time for us to stand up and fight for the church. And how do we fight? 
We pray, we fast, we show up, we serve, we take a stand. We don't back down any longer. The enemy is warring for our families, but he's warring for the church. We have got to fight for our families. We've got to rebuild our families. We've got our families healthy because like I said earlier, he knows the significance of a healthy family. He knows the significance of what a healthy family can do for Christ. He knows what a family that has been repaired, restored, built on a strong foundation can do for God. The family is the future. The church is the future. We can't let social media raise our kids anymore. We can't let Disney or Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever it may be, or video games or apps or whatever it may be, raise our families anymore. We can't get stuck in the cycle of those things either. We can't let the school systems or the world dictate to us anymore what our beliefs should be. We have to look to the Father. We have to fight for our families, and we have to fight for the church. It is time to fight back suit up, and reaching the world for Jesus should be our war cry. That should be our war cry. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, you have heard this so many times, but this should be our war cry. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go, go, We've become so inward. It's time for us to become outward, to reach our communities, to reach our homes, to reach our workplace, to reach the nations, to reach the world. He says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Don't be afraid. He'll give you everything you need. He'll give you all that you need. And I want to close with this, with a prophetic word that actually God showed me um, at the beginning of this month, at the beginning of March. But um, it was what I saw was the Lord breathing his breath over the world. And those who were laying down, those who had become complacent, rose up, their eyes were open, and their minds were made clear. They let out a war cry, and they ran to the Father. And the Father was handing out gifts, weapons, tools. And these people went out, and I saw a map of the world. And as they ran out, Nations lit up on the map because the glory of God was being revealed. People were running to him instead of running away, joining the family and the army of the Lord. The church has been dead, settled, foggy, dry, and we've forgotten or pushed aside those God-given visions, those God-given dreams, and those God-given promises. 
And we have backed down instead of rising up. And we have sugarcoated the truth and we have sugarcoated his word. But people need to hear the truth. They need something real. And guess what? They want something real. We have lost our authenticity. We have settled. I don't want a mediocre life anymore. I don't want to quit. I want my son and my daughters to be warriors for Christ, for his purpose. And I don't want anything less. I want them. I want our community. I want our nation to know that everything we do is for the glory of the Lord. And we have to ask for God to forgive us when we haven't looked, when we haven't inspected, when we've been complacent, when we've forgotten what's important, when we haven't risen up, when we haven't used our voice. And ask God to do more through us, to reveal his plan and his purpose through us. It's worth the fight. You are worth the fight. Your family is worth the fight. And the church is worth the fight. If you'll stand with me right now. And as you're standing, maybe during worship, Maybe during this message, God has become, has started revealing some things in you. And I want you to allow him to do that. Allow him to begin the inspection in your life. Because you can't afford to stay stuck anymore. Your family can't afford to stay stuck. The church can't afford to stay stuck. I promise you, it's a whole lot better life when freedom begins in our lives. When the journey of freedom begins. When we allow God to heal us. When we allow God to restore us. Don't be afraid. Just allow Him to speak to you, to heal you. Come in alignment with His truth. And maybe today, maybe you have ran away from the Father. Or maybe today you want to make the decision to follow Christ. You have the opportunity to do that today. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that is you today, if you feel that nudge inside of you, to come back to the Father, to make the decision to accept Him as your Lord and Savior, that you want to be reconnected to the source, the life-giving source. If that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, just lift up your hand. Amen. We're going to pray a prayer today. And you can pray this prayer along with me. Or you can pray it in your own words. But we want to pray a prayer right now. Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of the broken places. Forgive me 
of my sins, the lies I've believed, and begin the restoration process in me. Show me your truth. Show me your love for me. I know now that the cross has the final say, and I am worth the fight. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. I'm ready to start this journey with you, and I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And church family today, if that is you, if you've got to realize that you are worth the fight, or maybe God's been revealing some things to you about your family or about the church, I want to pray over you today. Father, we thank you, God, that the cross has the final say. That the cross opened the door to the future for us. That by what the cross did, it restored hope in our lives. You give us hope, Father. And so, God, reveal those broken places. Reveal those open doors in me, in my family. Reveal to me the things that I need to do for the church. Restore me, Father. Show me my value. Show me my identity in you. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come up front. And if you made the decision to follow Christ today, we want to celebrate that with you. And so we have an amazing prayer team that is ready to pray with you to celebrate that decision that you made today. Also, maybe you have a prayer need or maybe you need to talk a little farther about the broken places in your life that you want God to heal and restore. They are here for you and they'll stay here for a few minutes after our service concludes. Thank you, church family, for allowing me to be with you this morning and to speak. I'm going to pray over you, and then we're dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this morning at Pathway. I thank you for every person that has walked through the doors and that is about to walk through the doors for our 11 a.m. service. We thank you for the life change that has happened and those that have come to know you today, Father. We thank you, God, for your love and your restoration. In Jesus' name, amen.